We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Welcome to another episode of Medicalization, a podcast miniseries that dives into some of the most peculiar and fascinating stories of the history of medicine. Some figures made it their mission to etch their names into history. Others found themselves thrust into it. Either way, their contributions have made medicine what it is today. I'm your host, Wafiq Sedholm. And I'm your host, Jessica Sedholm. In today's episode, we discuss the little-known advent of anesthesia and how one man's elixir changed it all. This is the story of Seishu Hanaoka. Episode 8, Hanaoka's Magic Elixir. Finally, my beautiful concoction is nearly ready. How proud Hua To would be. Eight parts mandarage. Two parts souzu. Bayakushi. Toki. One part tenancho. And one sensu bean. Now, just the water. Let it boil over. Ha! I can't believe it. My surgeries will be the greatest in all of Japan. The Mafutsutsan is ready. Seishu Hanaoka, born in 1760 in Hirayama, Japan, is one of the most influential surgeons in history. Hailing from a long line of physicians, the stage was set for little Seishu to carry on the family heirloom. His father had a medical practice of his own in the village, and took Seishu under his wing until he reached the age of 22. It was then he decided to get formal schooling in medical surgery in Kyoto, Japan. He learned traditional Chinese medicine and surgery for one year in Kyoto, and then traveled around Japan for an additional three years, shadowing a variety of clinics and learning from his elders. Back then, practical skill and information had to be obtained the old-fashioned way. It was only after the passing of his father in 1785 did our doctor begin his own career in his hometown. He was a highly skilled surgeon, interested in treating wounds, ulcers, trauma, and even cancer. I mean, keep in mind, this was the 1700s. He was renowned in particular for his treatment of breast cancer. Seishu Hanaoka had a passion for chemistry since he was a young boy, and his travels only fueled his interest. He could often be seen tinkering with herbs to create novel medicines. And while later studying Chinese herbal medicine, he came across the works of a prolific surgeon in China named Hua To. 
Hinaoka was inspired by his use of remedies to lull a patient into a slumber before operating. Seishu Hinaoka knew that this could change the field of surgery forever. He set his sights on creating an anesthetic similar to Hua Tos based on blueprints he received during his time in Kyoto. Although historical accounts differ, he likely obtained the initial formulations either from his predecessors in Kyoto or from the researchers Senzo Hanai and Harunobu Onoshi. In any case, the two primary ingredients were mandridge and souzu, traditional Chinese herbs with sedative properties. These chemicals were known to be dangerous, so careful study of their effects was vital. If successful, Seishu Hanaoka would be the first person in the world to successfully anesthetize a patient during surgery. He would be the first to give the gift of a painless procedure. To truly understand why Seishu Hanaoka wanted to change the medical approach to surgery, we wanted to take another historical detour to discuss how surgery was performed in the pre-anesthesia days. They were truly torturous observations in the human's ability to withstand pain. Imagine being a patient in this scenario with a team holding your limbs down. You're subjected to piercing knives, rigid saws, and pointing screws that caused immeasurable agony with every movement of the surgeon's hand. Everything from small incisions to whole limb amputations were done like this with little to no pain relief. Back in those days, good surgeons knew that the most effective surgery was a quick one. If you didn't move quickly enough, the patient became rigid and writhed that even cutting through muscle was difficult because of the sheer tension. And to add yet another element of discomfort, procedures were often performed at surgical theaters where crowds would gather basically to watch you agonize. And if you happened to live through all that torture... The post-operative course was often worse, complicated by blood loss and infection. Most of these patients died shortly thereafter. Laying on an operating table was basically a last-ditch effort, a Hail Mary since you were probably on your way out anyway. Surgeons often called their patients victims. Everyone knew the implications of going into the operating room. Now, It's easy to assume that surgeons were apathetic instruments of pain, but the words of an anonymous surgeon recalling those darker days could prove otherwise. Of the agony that my surgery occasioned, I will say nothing. Suffering so great as I underwent cannot be expressed in words, and thus, fortunately, cannot be recalled. The particular pangs are now forgotten, but the blank whirlwind of emotion, the horror of great darkness, and the sense of desertion by God and man, bordering close upon despair, which swept through my mind and overwhelmed my heart, I can never forget, however gladly I would do so. Many civilizations throughout time experimented with herbs that provided localized pain relief, but no one had created a drug that could completely anesthetize a patient while the procedure commenced. That seemed like a far-off fantasy. 
With the framework for concoction set, he named his sedative Mafutsutsan. Shortly thereafter, Seishu Henaoka set to experiment on his subjects, those poor dogs in his village. He would observe their response to the potion, noting their behavior as the medicine kicked in, the time it took for them to fall asleep, the length of anesthesia, as well as the side effects. There were undoubtedly some casualties as he pushed the limits of his elixir until he got it just right. Hanaoka knew that when he perfected it on a canine, he would need to see its effects on humans. His first two subjects, at their request, were his mother and his wife. Disaster struck as an experimental dose given to his wife led to her blindness. And not just temporarily. She actually lived the rest of her life blind. Finally, after years of toiling, this time with a little bit more caution, Seishu Hanaoka finally had a working anesthetic by 1796. With the medicine ready and the surgical skills at hand, Seishu Hanaoka now just needed a willing patient. Many came to him looking for an answer for their ailments, but when he proposed a radical surgical solution, he was met with the same response every time, fear and subsequent refusal. That was until October of 1804. A six-year-old woman by the name of Kan Aya entered his practice. She suffered from a large left breast lump, cancer, and she was willing to let Seishu Hanaoka operate on her. And on October 13, he began his work. After drinking Mafutsutsun, she slipped into a sedated state within two hours, and he, without any shrieks, flailing limbs, chaos, nothing removed the tumor from her breast safely. When she woke, she saw her breast with a clean, sutured wound and a significant reduction in size. What she did not know was the history she had just made. She was the first recorded patient to undergo a surgical procedure under general anesthesia. The world of medicine would forever be changed by this development. The possibility of Longer, painless, and more audacious surgeries was now within reach. In many anesthesia textbooks, there is no mention of Seishu Hanaoka or of his revolutionary achievement. I mean, what is that? Well, Japan was under the dominion of the Tokugawa shogunate, which enacted a strict isolationist policy within the country. In fact, the Portuguese, the Spanish, English, and the Dutch were rarely allowed to trade and mingle with Japanese society. The Dutch were one of the few to penetrate medical society in Japan. Their quote-unquote Western surgery was studied by many, including Hanaoka himself. As a result of these strict policies, In addition to Hanaoka's own resistance to sharing his successes, his feat remained uncelebrated. In 1842, in the United States, Crawford W. Long became the first person to use an inhaled anesthetic, diethyl ether, to perform a surgical procedure. It is Dr. Long's name that graces the textbooks as anesthesia's pioneer, forever shadowing Hanaoka's greatest legacy.
I think it's that time, Jesse. Uh-oh. It's time to learn the science behind some of our favorite stories. Off to the Synaptic Center. Pain is the worst, right? You fall down, you break an arm, you get a paper cut. It's an uncomfortable sensation. But we need pain to survive. And I swear I didn't rip that from Green Day lyrics. <laughs> it's true. Just imagine if you didn't have any pain. If you touched a burning stove, you would never let go, and the damage would continue until things got really, really bad. Or if you broke your leg, you would continue walking on it, and it would never heal properly, if at all. We need this response to protect ourselves from our surroundings. And there's actually some people who don't feel any pain at all. That's a condition called congenital insensitivity to pain. Although that sounds nice in theory, it's actually quite dangerous to have the disease. Many don't make it past childhood because they get cuts or infections or fractures that just go unnoticed for too long. So we know that we need pain to live, but too much pain is uncomfortable and just not pragmatic for working physicians. Seishu Henaoka, our Japanese doctor, understood this well when he decided to create his anesthetic. And while he didn't know the mechanism of action in Mafutsu-san, we do now. The main ingredient in this elixir is mandarage. Mandarage is a well-known wildflower that had documented properties of analgesia, that's the term for pain relief, but also lethal when taken in excess. The active ingredients of mandarage include scopolamine, atropine, and hyoscyamine. All three of these compounds are characterized within the same drug class, and so they work in the same way. They antagonize, or block, muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. Ultimately, what this does is it leads to confusion, sedation, flushing of your skin, drying of the eyes and mouth, increases your heart rate, and it lowers your blood pressure. The chemical's hallucinogenic effects as well as its sedation, accounted for much of the drug's use in its primitive years. These drugs also open sodium channels in cells, which prevents the normal electrical activity of the heart. So they're very dangerous in large doses because your heart could simply stop beating at any given moment. They also permeate the blood-brain barrier, which is key because it allows for the drug to enter the brain, knocking you unconscious during surgery. The difference between a lethal poison and a highly effective medication basically comes down to dosage. So combining mandarage with all the other ingredients of the mafutsutsan together required superb skill as well as trial and error. Dosage is so important, there's an entire branch of medicine, anesthesiology, that focuses in on this. Mm -hmm. But we've come a long way since those days, the days of Seishu Hanaoka. Now we treat headaches and body aches constantly with Advil or Tylenol. It's all over the counter. I mean, just think how easy it is to take a pill at the first sign of discomfort. But how do those over-the-counter drugs work exactly? Well, pain is mediated by our nervous system. We have dedicated nerves, called nociceptors, that signal to our brain that something is wrong, something is damaged. And that signal creates a cascade of other molecules that amplify, so that our pain just builds and builds and builds. So instead of preventing the signal from reaching our neurons, 
What if we stopped the amplification instead? That's the basis of pain management today, to prevent those molecules from intensifying. It's not that they don't exist, it's just that they're not amplified. One of the most important molecular targets in this pathway is arachidonic acid. Arachidonic acid is the initial molecule that goes through a series of chemical reactions which end with that final sensation of pain, redness, swelling, and fever. All those signs of inflammation. I like to think of the pathway as a factory that takes one starting material, which is the arachidonic acid, and turns out a few smaller products using molecular quote-unquote machines. We have created several medicines that interfere with these machines and prevent them from doing their job. In our analogy, the machines are enzymes by the name of COX-1 and COX-2. Now, to get into what an enzyme is, it's basically a protein that functions as a catalyst, so they allow chemical reactions to occur more quickly. This is how the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, like Advil, Aleve, or Aspirin, work. They block the COX-1 and or COX-2 enzymes. The other class of common drugs is acetaminophen, which you may know as Tylenol. It only affects COX-2 and has similar pain-relieving effects, although it does not work on inflammation due to a slightly different mechanism of action. As you know, when you've taken these medications, they work for lower levels of pain, like a fever or a headache. But if you have more severe pain, you're going to need the big guns. These are called opioids. The opioids work by binding opioid receptors, which mute the brain's actual understanding of pain. In that sense, it doesn't make the pain go away, it just silences the messenger altogether. The opioids are really good in reducing pain. Like, the best. They are often used for patients after surgery or for people with chronic pain issues, even though new research indicates that this might not be the best strategy. Drugs in this class include oxycodone, morphine, fentanyl, heroin, the real heavy stuff. And right now, this is more relevant than ever. You turn on the news or the radio, and you can't avoid hearing about the opioid crisis in America. And for good reason. Over the last 20 years, doctors were sort of coaxed by pharmaceutical companies into thinking that opioids could treat people's pain with minimal side effects. But we now know that they're often unsafe and very, very addictive. At its worst, opioids can lead to respiratory depression and result in death. People all across the globe are dying from overdoses as their tolerance outpaces their body's capacity to respond. Judicious prescribing by doctors and new government regulations are currently being enacted to prevent the thousands of unnecessary deaths that occur yearly. Can Aya, the world's first anesthetized patient, died on February 26, 1805. Her name would be one of nearly 150 patients of Hanaoka's who had some type of breast mass on which he operated. 
News of his success in painless operations swept through Japan, and he quickly grew a following. Many aspiring surgeons flocked to learn from Henaoka and discover the secret of Mafutsutsan. As was Japanese tradition, his pupils were forbidden from sharing the recipe or details of his technique with anyone, including family. He constructed his version of a medical school to teach his growing population of apprentices and named it Shunrin-ken. With water sanitation, a lecture hall, an operating room, consultation room, and a pharmacy, it was a spectacle of order and efficiency seldom seen in that time. Although those walls have since collapsed, the foundation of medicine Seishu Henaoka built has become a staple of medical practice. With the birth of anesthesia came a responsibility for a new generation of physicians whose sole job was to identify, manage, and combat suffering. Anesthesiologists treat pain in operating rooms, emergency rooms, and primary care clinics every day. They tackle everything from one-hour procedures to decades-long management of chronic pain. With an expanded arsenal of medications and a fervor to combat suffering, our communities are indebted to those, both past and present, that are dedicated to controlling that all-too-uncomfortable feeling we know as pain. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Medicalization. If you'd like to learn more about a story, go to medicalizationpodcast.com for some further reading. Please make sure to follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and or SoundCloud and give us a review. You don't have to give us a review, but sharing with your friends and writing a review are the best ways to help us out. We'll see you next time for another look into the medical history vault with Jess and Wafiq. Until then, toodaloo. News of his success in painless procedure. <laughs> it's weird that you do that. I know that's because we're not under pressure. Yeah, well, this is no pressure. Because it's just us. <laughs> <laughs> <Just go. laughs> no, you didn't. You never said they were inside. <laughs> that's why I brought it up. Now back to our show.